like Christmas. I will hang up from this call right now. All around my house. I can listen to Christmas music and watch Home Alone, and I can't wait for Friday when I put up my Christmas tree. You know, I've been looking. Uh, I've been looking on some Black Friday deals for a soundboard for this podcast, and the one that I have saved that I'm waiting to go on sale has both a boo and a his button. And you are so fucking lucky. I don't have it right now. <laughs> I would boo you out of the goddamn building. Welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast, everybody. It's our Thanksgiving special, which means it's uh, you're listening to this after Thanksgiving and I can listen to Christmas music now. You know, I, I was I was looking forward to this. This was going to be a holiday special that I was going to enjoy. <laughs> and here we are. You know, I just had to bring that energy and make sure that uh, you were off kilter a little bit. So we still get that 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 heat that we always bring every week. Well, you know, uh, well, we'll get into it when we talk about what we did this week. But I, I, there's a reason why I'm, I'm, I'm a little sensitive about that. But we'll get into it. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I, of course, am DJ Gagnon here with my fabulous host, Mark Rossetti. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Who is happy to be here and can't wait for Christmas, of course. But before we get to Christmas, we got to respect that Thanksgiving. What you been, uh, what you been up to in the last week, buddy? Uh, well, uh, I sold the Roadster. <laughs> It is gone. So I know, sad. you know, it, here's the thing. Um, if we count just, you know, toy vehicles, play vehicles, you know, fun vehicles, not not daily drivers, I've had 11 since I've been driving. Mm. And which in of itself is fantastic because I'm only 35, as we discussed in the birthdays episode. Uh, and that's not counting daily drivers. I think I've had about another dozen daily drivers. I just get bored with cars easy. I buy them, I tinker with them, they go away. Uh, I will say when the gentleman came and, you know, we did the, the exchange. God, it sounds like a drug deal. Uh, <laughs> when he gave me the manila envelope full of $100 bills and I gave him the product. No. Uh, when he came to pick the car up, he, he drove it away because he doesn't, it's not, didn't go far. It actually just went a few miles up the road. I know right where it is. Uh, it did hurt a little bit watching it go away. Uh, but then I ran inside because there is a car that I have been lusting after since I was in high school. And I said, you know what? I have a little bit of money. I'm going to try to shoot my shot. And I called the guy that had it and I just said, Hey, this is random, but I have money now. Would you want to sell this? And he went, Let's have lunch and we'll talk, <laughs> which then I felt better. So uh, we're in the process of hopefully getting that. So more updates to follow. Uh, but uh, the reason why I'm a little sensitive is we the AT21 Studios, believe it or not, is actually decorated for Christmas. And I, I know you've fallen dead on the other end of the line. Have so you not? Good. I'm so happy for you. The reason for this is next weekend, the first weekend in December, are the Christmas tours that we do every year here because the studio, when it's not a studio, is actually part of a historic home. And we do historic house tours, and every Christmas we do Christmas tours, with the exception of last year, obviously. So because this weekend is Thanksgiving and whatnot, uh, we had to decorate it today. So it is very Christmassy throughout the entire house, in, including the studio, and uh, I'm, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> 
What about you, buddy? What did you do this week? How did your Friendsgiving go? It went very good. I uh, had some wonderful friends over. I cooked a ton of food. It was so much fun. Um, I feel like all the work I've done on my back this year was kind of in preparation for like cooking for six straight hours in my kitchen. And not a twinge. So it was good. It was a good day. Um, we had lots of dessert. And I, I like made as much as I could from scratch as possible. So I, I felt pretty successful by the end of it. Well, I mean, that's half the battle. And, yeah, six six hours over a stove and an oven, you're a better man than I am. Um, you know, I, I'm the fattest guy that hates cooking. So, you know, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the exception to the rule, but uh, kudos to you. I have a lot of respect for people that can actually do it and do it well. I, I, I can do enough to survive, <laughs> it, <laughs> which is about as far as it goes. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we had some food challenges of different uh, dietary restrictions. So we... Uh, yeah, we just, you know, we just kind of left an onions out here and substituted some garlic in there and, and it all worked out pretty well. Um, it, it was kind of a wild weekend because, um, you know, as we're recording this Friendsgiving was yesterday and right before Friendsgiving was the two day weekend in which I was mudding and sanding and trying to get my you know office and closet ready to be painted and that was a two-day affair. And right before that happened was Friday, where the Pokemon remakes got released. Yes, you know, you were trying to bullshit uh, myself and the rest of our uh, group chat into saying that you weren't going to touch it until, like, today. And we all called bullshit on you. And so how much have you played it? Um, I'm two badges in. I'm not surprised in yeah. the least. And what is your uh what what is your roughly quarter of the way, third of the way through review? You know, we're gonna we're gonna branch off here. This isn't the topic at hand, but you are the definitive Pokemon expert. Give, give us your 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 two line review so far. Uh it, really good. So these uh it's Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. So it's the remakes of Generation Four. Um and they kind of went back to an older school art style, but they kept the 3D. So everything's just kind of chibi, which is really adorable uh, until you get into battles and then you have like full character art and everything really cool. Um, and like I don't it, it's like novel enough that I don't remember the cities and like the order of the um, the gyms that you have to hit and stuff like that. So uh, it, it it's still a lot of fun. And they, they went back to most of the old, old rule set, like you're fighting Pokemon to catch them. And, um, uh, you, they did away with like in, in these remakes, there's no mega evolutions. There's no Z moves. There's no gigantamaxing. There's none of the crazy new mechanics. It's just back to old school Pokemon. Um, they brought some stuff in from the newer games. So, uh, you don't have to... Um, you don't have to have a Pokemon devoted to HMs anymore. You can just, uh, it's all a little watch app and you can select what it is and do things. And that's, that's really nice. Um, and they brought in like the fairy type, uh, from gen six. So, uh, it, it's good. It, it's pretty solid. I'm still working my way through it. Um, uh, I forgot that this generation was the one that introduced Pokemon competitions, uh, which have nothing to do with battling, so I am very out of the practice for it. So I'm kind of looking forward to that part of the game. And that's my, like, well, six-line review. There you have it, folks. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I've just, I've gone back to, uh, we're all going back. You're going back to the fourth generation of Pokemon, and I've gone back to the PlayStation 2. I've been playing Bully. I'm on the last chapter now, so it's very sad. I, I forgot how relatively short the game is, but it's so very good. It is. They're fantastic. All right, well, uh, the matter at hand. Pre-Thanksgiving, or I guess post-Thanksgiving as you listen to this, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I uh, decided to dip back into some of the tasting bottles that I had. Um, and this time I went with that tasting box I got of Glen Morangy last season. So I pulled another one of the files. And this one is uh, the La Santa 12-year sherry cask finish. Surprise, surprise. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty solid. It's very bold. Um, it's bold bodied. There's some raisin and a little bit of honey and lemon on the, on the palate. Let me see. Mm. Mm. It's good. It's kind of got that, like, it's definitely scotch and I can definitely taste that it's scotch. Um, but it's not peaty. There's something oh, about, so of course you like it then. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 minerally, it's it's earthy, but it's not it's not peaty. Um so it's it's good. I I like it. It's um it's it does have that backbone of sherry that I I do like. Um I I still if you put this up against like the Breckenridge sherry cask finish, I definitely prefer the Breckenridge just for my own palate. Um but if you're looking for a new whiskey to try and you want to get into scotches i mean any of the glen morangy entries are are going to be fantastic so um i definitely recommend them how about you buddy i am drinking something that is new to me uh i am drinking jefferson's very small batch bourbon Ooh, and it is put out by castle brands under their jefferson's label uh, it is 41.15% alcohol by volume. There's no age statement, and I was unable to get a mash bill uh, in time to record this, but I'm sure there's one out there. It is... Uh, they uh, brag that they cask it in charred oak casks. Now, I am just in love with this. I was telling DJ before we started, I poured myself... A generous helping over my whiskey stones, as you'll see in the photos for this that go up on social media. And uh, we were chatting a little bit off air beforehand, and I had consumed most of it beforehand because I was <laughs> like, this is really fucking good. Um, it's pretty light. It has like a light tannish, caramelish color. Uh, the nose is very soft. You get some spices. You get that good bourbon smell. Uh, but then you get a little bit of nutmeg, you get a little bit of cinnamon, you get a little bit of vanilla, you get a little bit of caramel, and uh, you get your favorite smell in the world, DJ. You get a little bit of leather. Mm. When you drink it, it's a bit rich. Uh, you again get the hints of caramel, you get some of the vanilla, you get almost like a bready taste, if that makes any sense, and uh, you get more uh, leather tones with it. And then the finish is nice because the finish is really long. Mm. And you just have that good bourbon flavor and all of the, the tones just sort of hang. And then you just get a little burn because it's only 41%. Just let you know it's there and then it doesn't really linger. Um, I think it's pretty well balanced personally. I have not had this before. I love it. 
If you go online, the reviews for this are actually pretty middling, and I don't understand it. Uh, people are like, it's pretty boring. It's just this, it's just that, it's just bourbon. It's a good, really smooth bourbon. I will say I think it's overpriced in Pennsylvania. It's normally $36.99. I got it on sale for $29.99. At, uh, the liquor stores around here were doing an early Black Friday. Even at, I mean, $29.99 is about right. I would even say maybe, you know, $25, $26 might be better. Looking online, it seems like it is cheaper most other states because, of course, they don't have to pay the insane Pennsylvania whiskey taxes that we have to pay. Uh, but price aside, this is really, really good <laughs> and is making me fall in love with bourbon all over again. <laughs> That's awesome. So go buy now. Jefferson's very small batch. What about whiskey news? What do we got? Okay. Now, I told you off air. Whiskey news this week is really whiskey adjacent, but the headline was just too great. This is from our friends at Bloomberg News. Israeli cyber scammer confesses to a fraud fueled by cocaine and whiskey. (laughs) What? (laughs) An Israeli man confessed on Tuesday to helping steal nearly $10 million from hundreds of victims sprawling across the European Union in a cyber trading scam headed by the so-called Wolf of Sophia while under the influence of cocaine and whiskey. The 45-year-old male, who can only be identified as Tal Jackie ZF, owned up to duping investors from Germany, Austria, and several other EU nations via call centers operating from many Eastern European cities on day one of his trial in Munich. Uh, According to the prosecutor, the investors never had any chance of getting their money back, let alone making any profits. Uh, Basically, think of the Wolf of Wall Street. That's why they call it the Wolf of Sophia. It's sort of a pump-and-dump penny stock scam, but running across the EU. Now, what made me really interested in this uh, was his defense. Now, this is what Tal Jackie ZF's lawyer claims that he consumed two to three liters of whiskey daily, along with smoking two to three grams of crack cocaine every day. He also occasionally, right? He also occasionally used heroin. Uh, The drinking and drug abuse was his way to cope with the high pressures of the business and also to qualm his guilty conscience over what he was doing to the investors. Uh, He's thrown himself on the mercy of the courts and is asking to be put into rehab instead of jail and extradited to Israel where his ex-wife lives with their three children. Um, He completely admits to guilt, by the way, but just says it's because of the drugs and whiskey. That's Uh, a lot. Yeah, I... My initial instinct is to just call bullshit, but he may have the tolerance of a madman. I can't tell because every photo of this has him uh, pixelated. So I don't know what he actually looks like, but he's a 45-year-old Israeli man who apparently can do a lot of crack and drink a lot of whiskey and steal a lot of money. <laughs> so Sweet Jesus. Um, so if somebody says they're going to sell you stock and they want crypto, apparently you had to pay this guy in crypto. Just be a little weary. Uh, but what I read, I saw the headline first, and then when I read the article, I said, "This is whiskey news this week." Oh my god! <laughs> Just stay away from crypto for fuck's sake. 
I mean, I am pretty much as libertarian as they come, but I, I don't get the crypto. I That boat left and I wasn't on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in IT and I still don't really get crypto. As soon as somebody starts talking blockchain, I'm like, oh, you're a douchebag. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to go over here now. Yeah, pretty much. All right, what are we doing for tools of the trade? Good luck following that fucker. <laughs> oh, I'm going to follow it. <laughs> okay, hit me. I might make you tear up a little bit. All right. Well, I haven't looked at the format, so I don't know what you're doing. So I am starting a small series on Tools of the Trade. I'm not going to do it every week, uh, but I'm going to be calling these cocktail remixes. So it's a segment within a segment. uh, (laughs) And this is where I attempt to remake a cocktail that Mark or I saw out in the wild. Okay. And I am starting with the Squirtle from the gamepad. Oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> I miss the gamepad. So, shameless plug, f- and, and, you know, pour one out, ladies and gentlemen, tonight for our poor, beloved uh, gamer bar. Uh, down in Haverhill, Mass., uh, Mark and I and AJ and, and, and our buddies, um, we used to kind of gather at this, this really great nerdy bar in uh, Haverhill called the Gamepad. Uh, and it was like the only real barcade that you can you could find before you actually go down to Boston or over to New York. And um, like it, they, they had all gamer themed drinks and, and nerdy uh, food items and things like, you know, they made their own pizza rolls in house that were really good. Um, but beyond that, the whole bar was set up with video game consoles along lining the walls and arcade cabinets, a huge projector screen where you could like do tournament style games. They had a room off to the side for like rock band and, and guitar hero and and DDR, things like that. So, you know, we would go there semi-regularly and, and uh, have a good time. And they had every drink on their menu was inspired by some video game or like fantasy or, you know, anime thing. And they had a series of drinks that were based on Pokemon. And the drink that I decided to try and make, uh, is, uh, their Squirtle. Now, the only way that we could do this is that AJ and I dug up, uh, quite a few months ago when we, it was sometime last year, right? That we found out the gamepad was closing and and wasn't going to reopen. Yeah, it actually, I think it was actually a little bit before the pandemic, sadly enough. Yeah, it, it was a while. Um, and, and it, you know, we're still bitter about it. I'm um, very bitter about it. But because of the internet, uh, people would take pictures of their really cool nerdy menu and post it up online. So AJ and I scraped all of the drinks and food off of the menu. And so I have been slowly attempting to recreate these really amazing drinks. So, uh, they're all, um, pretty sweet. Uh, so if you have a hardcore whiskey palette, um, you may not like some of these, but you can stuff it because these are really good drinks. Um, they are, I mean, if we could break kayfabe here, you know, my character is to be the bitter old man that hates anything remotely fun. And for the most part, that's true, but the fucking gamepad had some really good drinks. Yeah. No, they were like great. not even I can bullshit this, folks. Uh, so the Squirtle, um, depending on what kind of ingredients you use, 
Uh, it's supposed to come out blue, and it definitely looked blue under the blue lights in the gamepad. Yeah, uh, it did. When I recreate it, uh, I have used some different kinds of uh, juices, so it came out a little bit more, gr- a little greenish blue, uh, but it's okay. It tasted amazing. So my remix of the Squirtle, uh, using their ingredient list but not knowing what their ratios were. Uh, so the the Squirtle is an ounce and a half of kinky blue vodka, uh, which is a like berry mango flavored infused vodka that is actually blue. Uh, a quarter ounce of blue curacao, and then an ounce each of apple juice and lemonade. Shake that up, pour it into a rocks glass with ice, and then uh, you can either do, as a garnish, you can either do a short uh, blue raspberry rock candy, or you can get one of those like blue raspberry sour straws and coil it into Squirtle's tail and stick uh, a cocktail skewer through it and kind of put that on top of the drink. The so. last time I was at the gamepad, when I, I actually had that and I had the Princess Peach, mm-hmm. uh, they had the straw. Yeah. So it's very good. Yeah, they're very good. Um, my favorite drink of the gamepad used to be the Pikachu, but Kinky stopped making Kinky yellow. So uh, they weren't able to make the Pikachu last few times we went. But that's okay. The, the cocktails are really good. I'm going to occasionally remix another one of their cocktails. Uh, I think the next one I have on my list is the Bulbasaur. Um, uh, but they also had, like, they had a Harambe. They, um, because, you know, that's the era that the game pad opened. Uh, and they had... Don't act like that's so dated. I mean, it's fairly dated at this point. It's like five or six years at this point. God, is it? Re- Jesus Christ. Um, okay, keep going. Uh, yeah, 2016. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> yeah, making Mark feel old here, folks. Oh, um, thank God you didn't do that during the birthdays episode because I might have just ended it all. <laughs> uh, yeah. But keep going. But yeah, uh, my favorite drink from them was uh, it was a Overwatch themed drink called the Dragonberry Becomes You. Uh, so that that might actually end up being one of the next ones I try to make. Well, I'm putting in a request for down the road. You have to uh, tweak the Praise the Sun shot. So. Uh, yes. I hate Dark Souls, but that was a really fucking good shot. All so. right. All right. I'll put that on the list. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that I found, because I was doing some research into candy garnishes, um, because, you know, we're here to talk about whiskey palettes, and that's all well and good. But, you know, let's also serve the other side of the audience, which likes those sweet, bright drinks. Um, I love both of them. I will get as basic as possible because drinks are delicious. Uh, And I did find something really interesting uh, that is cocktail adjacent. Uh, And I found that there's a a couple of cafes that do this where uh, they'll make like a a latte and then they'll take the cup and put it under a little cloud of cotton candy. And the steam from the latte melts the cotton candy into the drink. No shit. Uh-huh. And it's like the you can watch it happen. There's some time-lapse videos on, online of just this like little rain of like sugar uh, sugar particles falling into the drink and it looks really pretty. So I just had to share that. Maybe there's something in there with an Irish coffee that we could do. 
mean, well, my well, initial Tony. instinct is just to go no, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the Johnny Bravo meme? I'm sickened, but curious. Yes. Right? <laughs> Which brings us to Thanksgiving and whiskey. <laughs> now, do you want to start with the happy stuff or should I depress us all first? Uh, you depress us. Let's end on a happy note. It's a holiday special. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, me being me, I'm going to be uh, angry historian at you. And I'm going to discuss basically the Thanksgiving myth and why it's very problematic. Now, shameless plug for this. Uh, I, I don't do this often, but this is a great book. It, you know, if you're interested in this, if, if you know, anything here kind of intrigues you, uh, go online, pick up the book, This Land is Their Land, The Wampanoag Indians, Plymouth Colony, and the Very Troubled History of Thanksgiving. It's by historian David J. Silverman of George Washington University, and it's a tremendous resource. So, you know, in grade school, probably maybe even in high school, depending on what type of history classes you had or were able to take, you were probably fed the same story of Thanksgiving that the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower and they landed on Plymouth Rock and that they were the first white people pretty much to ever come to New England and that just some random, nameless, unidentified Indians welcomed them with open arms and taught them how to live and how to build shelters and to plant food. And because everybody was all happy and friendly and, you know, in no way was persecuting anyone... They sat down after the harvest and had a very big dinner to celebrate. And, you know, they were so thankful that they were surviving in this new world. And they were thankful uh, for their new friends. And then immediately thereafter, all the people that aren't white disappear. And the white people take over their rightful place in America. That's probably the story you've been told, give or take. Yeah. (laughs) The truth, obviously, is... Very, very different. Conservatively, there has been human civilization in the New England territories, what we now consider New England, for about 12,000 years, give or take. Maybe even a little bit longer. But at the very least, 12,000 years that we can prove. (laughs) So, you know, to think that it all happened in, you know, 16-whatever with the, the Mayflower... No. Also, the fact that the Mayflower was not the first contact the Wampanoags or any New England tribe had had with uh, European settlers, white people. Several Wampanoags by that point spoke English. (laughs) That's how many people were coming back and forth. It gets overlooked in school a lot, but once Columbus proved that there was a viable trading route for good or for bad, and we're not going to get into the whole Columbus debate here. That's a whole other episode we can do. But once he proved that you could make money doing it, expeditions to America were very common from Europe. You just needed a backer, and you'd go. It's kind of like the space race today with Branson and Bezos and everybody. (laughs) So, you know, the, the Wampanoags, amongst others, and I'm just using the Wampanoags because they're they're the main tribe that actually uh, formed an entente with the Mayflower Indians, but or Mayflower settlers, rather. But there were several other Native American tribes 
uh, in this area. But they were familiar with white people. They were familiar with Europeans by this point. Uh, now, the Wampanoags did reach out to the English at the, the Plymouth Colony. They did want to form an alliance. They did want to befriend them. They did want to help them. That part is all true. But it wasn't just because, you know, they were going to... I don't want to say it wasn't just because out of the kindness of their own heart and then they were just going to step aside and give over their lands free and clear. No, 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 no. They were fighting a bloody battle against several other tribes. And they wanted allies. So, you know, the Wampanoags basically thought, well, if we can get these white people on our side that have different technologies. And by this point, they already knew about the diseases. You know, I mean, smallpox, of course, is the big one. We all know about that, smallpox, blankets, and everything, although that was more of a a Western thing later on. But uh, the natives, despite what history books and, you know, public school education might tell you, they were not stupid. (laughs) They knew that the white people were bringing disease. They knew that the white people were bringing insane technology. They knew that they were trying to take their land. They knew that they were trying to convert them to their religion. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Wampanoags were fighting what we now call King Philip's War. And they needed allies. They needed, you know, technology. They needed partners. And so because of that, the Plymouth settlers became a convenient ally. And so the breaking of the bread is kind of a propaganda piece. You know, yes, there was an exchange of information. Yes, there was an exchange of technology. I'm sure at some point leaders from both the white settlers and the Native Americans did meet and did eat together. They probably smoked together as well because tobacco was being used by everybody at this point. Uh, But it was not the friendly, you know, pass around the turkey and, you know, the uh, horn of plenty and all that that you're taught. Mm. Now, interestingly enough, this narrative goes back much farther than we all think. You know, Abraham Lincoln created Thanksgiving as a holiday, the way we think of it today, during the height of the Civil War. And at some point on the Witten Whiskey, if I have my way, we're going to do a Civil War episode or episodes, but that's way down the line. It's not going to be this season. The important thing to realize is we, and when I say we, I mean the North, because I'm from Pennsylvania and DJ's from New Hampshire, so we're both well in the North here. We were getting our asses handed to us for the first three years of the Civil War. Mm. And morale was pretty goddamn low. So Abraham Lincoln created Thanksgiving as we know it today as a propaganda piece. Get together with your family. Sit down around your table. Eat a big meal that maybe you haven't been able to eat because the war is cutting off all your supply lines. And be thankful for what you have. Uh, that's the modern you know, interpretation. That's about as far back as we think of Thanksgiving. No, 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 no. As early as 1769, a group of New England settlers, descendants from the Mayflower uh, settlers, 
they felt that their contribution to American history, their, their very culture, their identity, they felt that was slipping away. And we weren't even in, in America there. We weren't even a country yet. We were still, he thought that they were losing their identity. So they started to plant the seeds of what we know as the traditional Thanksgiving story, the traditional Thanksgiving myth. New England, the different colonies, uh, the Dominion of New England and then the individual colonies, they actually kind of ran with this because they saw it as a chance to boost tourism, mm. ironically enough. Think Salem and all the witch stuff, but that's neither here nor there. So the first publication that mentioned it was actually from the Reverend Alexander Young. And Reverend Young included a footnote that said, this was the first Thanksgiving, the great festival of New England. And this was actually what was picked up on by Abraham Lincoln when he declared it a holiday later on, as I talked about. Now, in the latter part of the 19th century and into the early 20th century, when immigration was at a high, this myth, this story, became a sort of uh, crucible for the immigration, the wave of immigration. Nativists picked up on this. They were just so angst. They had so much agitation over the constant Irish and Polish and Italian and German and everybody coming in. So the quote-unquote, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, your stereotypical wasps, they were just, you know, so unhappy about the influx of European Catholics, especially Eastern Europeans, and they wanted to assert their cultural authority over these newcomers. So they used the story of Plymouth Colony. They used the story of Mayflower. They used the story of the first Thanksgiving, basically to say, hey, we were here first. These were our ancestors. This is our country, not yours. And, you know, it didn't help with the racial politics of the 19th century. Uh, it was the, you had the Indian Wars across the West, which were just... It was genocide. I mean, we don't call it that because we won, and I use won in air quotes, um, but it was disgusting. Uh, you also still had incredible Jim Crow and segregation in the South. Slavery was only a generation away. People still remembered it. So because of all that, you still had incredible racial politics at the end of the 19th century, and people just look back on it like, yeah, we are a nice white religious nation and you know this is our heritage and this is our founding and kind of sounds familiar today doesn't it it does yeah so you know celebrate thanksgiving celebrate with your family it is good to sit down and be thankful you know to remember what you're thankful for and to have a meal because i mean lord knows with how busy everyone is today it's hard to just get together and eat um but don't take the story at face value. Do a little homework. Do a little reading. The sources are out there, the primary sources, the secondary sources. Uh, Native Americans deserve a lot better. They did a lot for the settlers that aren't reported, and they unfortunately had a lot done to them uh, that isn't reported. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. We should definitely be talking more about this narrative, I feel. We really should. I, you know, I saw a bumper sticker once, not to go too far into the weeds, but I saw a bumper sticker once that said, the American Indian deserves a national holiday. And I had to pull over because it was so, like, at the risk of sounding too bleeding hard, it was so profound, and I was like, fuck, yeah, 
They really do. <laughs> like, just, I mean, I, I, it was the closest I've ever had to, like, a religious experience. Like, I just needed a moment to think about that. I was like, holy shit, wait a minute. Um, you know, and now we have the big ceremony. Biden just did it. They pardoned the goddamn turkeys that they sent to the White House. And I just, I don't know. As everything else, it's become a hallmark holiday. But, uh, you know, eat your dinner, enjoy your turkey, take your trip to FNAP. Uh, but when you wake up, pick up a book, do a little research, uh, I think it'll be pretty eye-opening for you. Oh, yeah, totally. All right, so, you know, save us here. What are you going to talk about, Turducken? Because <laughs> Turducken is fucking awesome. No, we're not talking about Turducken. That's a travesty. Oh, I like Turducken, but go ahead. Yeah, that's because you're a Philistine. Uh, we are going to talk about some cooking techniques for Thanksgiving because... Uh, I cooked my first Thanksgiving meal last year and just did a, a Friendsgiving. And I definitely uh, I definitely understand some of the stress. If you are not a fan of cooking, uh, this could be the most stressful day of the year. Even if you are a fan of the cooking, making sure you get things down and timed. and um, Thanksgiving is a meal that you... It, it, and and maybe, maybe this is obvious, maybe it's not. But it's a meal that you cook in reverse. And what I mean by that is that uh, apart from appetizers, you, you tend to think of, you know, you get your meat, your potatoes, your, su- your, your stuffing, uh, your, uh, and then you've got your desserts, right? Uh, and, you know, you, somewhere in there you've got all of your casseroles and your squashes and, and your things covered in marshmallows, if that's your deal. Um, and a lot of people I find tend to start with all the big important stuff and then kind of leave the pies till the end. And it wasn't until like I, you know, I started talking to you know older members of my family who have been doing this for years. And they're like, oh yeah, of course, make sure you get those pies in first because they have to sit. So you kind of have to get your desserts ready first. So the menu for, for Friendsgiving this year, you know, we had turkey, we had mashed potatoes, we had stuffing. Uh, I baked my own bread, so, you know, we had something to pass around. Uh, I am a staunch believer in Canberry sauce. Uh, where do you <laughs> fall on the Canberry cranberry debate? I don't need either one of them, so I don't really care. <laughs> you make whatever suits you. I'm just going to take a second help in the stuffing. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's the one thing that I didn't try and make from scratch uh, yesterday because I have had quite a few... Uh, quote unquote grandmother's family recipe of cranberry relish this and I'm not a fan I really wish I was but I'm not um, I really just if you can't slice it I don't want want it if it in terms of cranberry so I don't know why I don't like cranberry sauce because like as we established you know a few episodes ago I love cranberry juice I guzzle it by the gallon. Uh, but I just, man, the side, I don't know. No, I just it's taking up room on my plate. I want more turkey. I want more potatoes. I want more stuffing. I, I like it for the same reason that I like cranberry juice in a cocktail. It just, it brings that extra layer of flavor to something. Like I like a slice of turkey with a little bit of cranberry. A little canberry sauce. But anywho, um, so ye- yesterday I made uh, a uh, an apple pie and a pumpkin tart. And I also had vanilla ice cream that I made from scratch because I'm bougie. Um, You're a fucking try hard. I am. 
Uh, I am going to brag a little bit, but I'm also going to talk about how to do this crap. So I started cooking for Thanksgiving like uh, a week ahead of time uh, because I made vanilla ice cream. And uh, I can't claim this recipe as my own. I've tweaked it here and there a little bit, but you know, not nearly as much as I tend to tweak my other recipes. Uh, so if you want a really good recipe for vanilla ice cream, uh, go for Alton Brown's vanilla ice cream. And he's got a whole episode on Good Eats about it. Uh, so it's a, it's a custard ice cream and it requires, uh, you know, tempering eggs and all sorts of good stuff. So there's some good techniques in there if you want to learn more about cooking. Uh, the hardest part about this ice cream recipe is that you need vanilla sugar for it. And vanilla sugar is not generally something you could just buy off the shelf. Uh, it's very easy to make, but it's time consuming. Um, you can prepare vanilla sugar in about five minutes. Uh, but then you have to like sit it in a Tupperware container and shake it like a couple of times a week for like two months. What? It takes a <laughs> while. Yeah. So what you're doing is like you take it, there's a ratio for it and I've got it written down somewhere, but essentially what you're doing is you're, you're you slice, uh, vanilla pods and you scrape the vanilla beans out of the vanilla pod and vanilla beans are very, very, very tiny. Like you've had vanilla ice cream with actual vanilla bean in it, right? I have indeed. And you you know how like little tiny, tiny those specks of black are? Yep. Well, when you scrape it out of the pod, it's kind of the sticky mass that's that's wet. So what you do is you throw that sticky mass and the, the, the pods themselves in with a bunch of sugar in a Tupperware container and just shake it up every couple of days. And what it does is the sugar leaches all of the liquid out of the vanilla and it breaks up the sticky mass. And eventually you have this, these very fine vanilla beans uh, well distributed out through the sugar. And that's how I'm sure like industrially they have a way better way of doing this. And I'm sure some listener is screaming, oh, but you could use a dehydrator or, oh, you could lay them out in the oven and dry them. I don't. I don't care. This is how I learned how to do it. So once you have vanilla sugar, you can mix it into your, your egg and milk uh, and cream and all that good stuff. And then um, I have an ice cream maker because, again, I'm a try-hard bougie. Uh, so I you know, made my own custard ice cream, put it in a Tupperware container after it went through the ice cream maker uh, and got it nice and hard. So uh, I have really good ice cream now. Um so that I, I luckily I already had made vanilla sugar a couple of months ago because uh, again I'm a try hard so I uh, I made vanilla ice cream last weekend. Uh, when it came to the pies, there's a couple of techniques I like to use. Uh, so I did do a little bit of try hard with the pies here. I made a pumpkin tart, which is basically a pumpkin pie, but the the um, the pie filling is on the same level as the crust, so it just it, it looks kind of cool. Um, a normal pumpkin pie is either done with like an open pie crust or it's made um, with a graham cracker crust. I make it with ginger snaps, which I thought you would enjoy. I do enjoy ginger snaps. So I grind up ginger snaps with some brown sugar and some nutmeg, and then I uh, throw some melted butter in there and then spread it into the, the pan. Um, the, the pumpkin tart I make is a, is, it's a custard, 
So, um, you, you, again, tempering eggs, doing some cool things there. I roasted my own sugar pumpkin and pureed it. So I had my, I made my own pumpkin puree, but, um, I like it because I feel like I control, can control the salt a little bit and better and I'm bougie, but the cans of pumpkin puree you can get at the store, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Like it's nothing but pumpkin puree. There's no like extra additives or coloring or anything gross in it. So, uh, it's actually like, that's how I made my pumpkin pie last year is I use pumpkin puree in a can and I honestly cannot tell the difference. I may not actually make my own puree next year. You heard it here folks, first folks. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, all the pumpkin pie spices. Cause you know, if there's going to be one time of the year where, where it's okay to use pumpkin pie spices, it's a pumpkin tart. Um, and then for my apple pie, uh, I, got the recipe from my mother-in-law and I, I amped it up just a little bit because I was having a really hard time with, um, moisture in my pies. So I, I mix the apple slices up. I, I, I peel core and, and slice up the apples. Then I mix them all up with cinnamon and sugar. And then I put all of the cinnamon sugar apple mix in a colander and put that over a bowl and I let it sit for an hour and when I come back, the sugar and the cinnamon have leached a bunch of the liquid out of the apples. So it makes it so that your your pie isn't just completely like bogged down with liquid. I do tend to introduce a little bit of that liquid back, but like it's maybe a teaspoon or two. It's not the like, you know, half cup of liquid that I get back. So uh so pies go in pretty early. Um the the big part of the meal is the turkey. And I, everybody has a different way of doing, doing turkey. I feel like turkey is like kitchen witchery at its best because everyone has a different way of getting it to cook on time. So excuse me as I scream. Who do? Yeah. Yeah. It's all magic. Uh, so I think, my way is the best, of course. Um, but if you talk to my brother, uh, my brother swears by uh, deep frying turkeys. Uh, my dad has his own way of doing it. My mom has her own way of doing it. So everyone in our family seems to have a different way of cooking turkey. Um, listen to DJ. Uh, I brine my turkey breasts. And uh, so I went to the store uh, over the weekend. Uh, we've got a it's New England, so there's half a dozen farms. You, you spit, and there's a bespoke farm where you can buy expensive meats. Um, so I went and I picked up, instead of buying a whole turkey, because I I get squicky when I have to deal with, like, turkey carcasses. Blech. So I just go and buy turkey breasts, and sometimes I get them bone-in, sometimes I don't. Um, I'm going to be honest, I can't really tell the difference. So you know, just go boneless if you can. Um, but what I do is I make a brine. I do a gallon of water, a bunch. I, I think it's like, a, it's like a cup of salt and a cup of brown sugar. And then, uh, an, an orange, two lemons all sliced up and three sprigs of rosemary, throw the turkey breasts in there and let it sit for like 24 hours. Uh, and the reason why you brine, and here's the cool cooking technique. The reason why you brine is because it seals in the ju the natural juices of the turkey 
So when you cook it, it doesn't dry out. And you can cook it open. Like, you don't have to necessarily cover it unless your, you know, your stuff starts to burn or whatnot. Um, you don't have to do any crazy, like, you know, tenting or, or wrapping it in a bag or putting a... I, I heard somewhere uh, that Julia Child used to soak a, uh, a tea towel in butter and lay that over the turkey. No, you don't oh, yeah. Any of that shit. Uh, so when it's all done, you throw the turkey breast in the pan and then you, um, you put, I, I put butter under the skin and, uh, I, I, I take like one stick of butter and then I put half of it goes under the skins and half of it I melt with a bunch of fresh rosemary. I salt and pepper the turkey and then I brush the butter on. Um, and you can all, you can baste at this point. I baste with a brush. Some people baste with like the the squeegee thing, um, but it's it, turkey and chicken work exactly the same way. So uh, if you uh, just make sure you get a good thermometer on hand and it's 165 degrees, pop it out when it's done. Uh, all right, <sighs> almost done. Uh, <laughs> Uh, mashed potatoes, I take my lead from uh, Alton Brown again. Uh, I do tend to throw in some onion powder, some garlic, cloves when I boil them. Um, but he does, like, cream and a fuck ton of butter. Like, it's just southern-style mashed potatoes, and I love them. Um, I was going to say, you watch your ass talking about southern-style there, but you oh, saved no, yourself. All right. No, no, no. They're fucking amazing. Um, they're really, really tasty. And uh, the only thing I will caution you on is maybe don't always make your mashed potatoes this way. Like maybe sometimes it doesn't need heavy cream and butter. Um, but uh, it, for Thanksgiving, I definitely go that route. I leave the skins on. Um, I like a, rusk, a rustic mashed potato. Um, as I like to tell my buddy uh, whenever we're cooking together, uh, rustic to me while cooking means lazy. <laughs> And I was, I, you know, you're, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you joke about that. Yeah. Now I like skins on mashed, but I just like mashed potatoes in general. I'll yeah. eat them anyway. But uh, my mother says the same thing that rustic means lazy, but she means it as you know derogatory because she never leaves the skin on our mashed potatoes. <laughs> I mean, I there are some times that I like a smooth mashed potato without the skins, and there are some times that I don't, and there are some times that I just don't fucking care and I don't want to deal with it and I'm cooking 14 other dishes, so just leave the skins on. It's fine. It tastes wonderful. Just um, do what I do, folks. You look at the mashed potatoes and you just say, can I eat those? And if they say yes, you say thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the last big recipe that I do uh, is I make a cornbread and sa- sausage. Technically, it's called a dressing. Uh, so if you're cooking for Thanksgiving, it's called a stuffing if it goes into the bird, and it's a dressing if it's done as a casserole. Um, most people don't give a shit, but you're going to have that one aunt who goes, well, actually. You're that one aunt. <laughs> like, what? Who? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, I don't give a shit. I call it stuffing, but I've had this told to me so many times that I 
I just don't want the tweets. So <laughs> it's fucking stuffing. You know what? If you're gonna tweet us about that, you know who calls it dressing? Al Qaeda. <laughs> ISIS. Who are we fighting currently? I don't even know. Damn it, they Mark. call it dressing. Don't make me edit that out. <laughs> I gotta keep you know who toes. calls it dressing? The Italians. <laughs> no, oh, I was gonna say if you if you said the whole sauce gravy thing, oh, <laughs> my grandmother will dr- have me drive her to New Hampshire because she doesn't drive. That's that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, uh, I put like sausage and mushrooms, onions and celery and um, uh, just a whole bunch of shit that people don't generally put in stuffing. And I really like it and some people don't, but um, if you don't like it, you can bite me. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I cooked. We also had a ton of casseroles and a bunch of more desserts and uh, it, it was a wild day. Uh, I made I, I debuted my my Squirtle remix uh, yesterday, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, there's some uh, there's some interesting ways you can kind of go about timing things. I tend to leave the turkey to be like the last thing I cook because everything else that you're cooking is generally something that can be reheated in a casserole dish really quickly. Um, and the turkey's the one thing that has to like it's got to come out, and if you put it back in, it's gonna dry out. So. I tend to leave it for last and I just cover everything else in like a, you know, a tin foil or something. When you bring the turkey out, do you like sing the Final Fantasy VII victory song when you do it? Uh, I do. Yeah, I did hold it over my head because we had company and I did do the victory fanfare yesterday. Da 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 Fucking A. All right, so. One line, and for serious this time, unlike your Pokemon review, uh, most important tip for a beginner? Um, plan. Just one word, plan. Like, plan out your meal in advance. Make sure you've got everything, and uh, work out your timings. Like, know what your time is going to be, and try to make sure that you've got tasks that other people can help with. Uh, it's really easy in the kitchen to just be like, oh, my God, this is my plan and I have to do all of it. But like people can be chopping potatoes and boiling them on one burner while you're getting the turkey ready or, you know, uh, you can be making pie crust while somebody else is chopping up apples. Like there is plenty of room in the kitchen for people to help. Uh, there is something in the credo of too many cooks in the kitchen, though. So maybe just have one or two helpers. Well, that's pretty good advice. And, you know, to paraphrase one of my heroes, Roger Penske, plan your work, work your plan. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's it, folks. Thanksgiving and whiskey, uh, even though you're listening to this on Black Friday. Uh, but, you know, write it down for next year. It's a great friggin' holiday, and I'm sure you have leftovers in the fridge, which is arguably the most underrated part of Thanksgiving, in my opinion. I made a turkey leftovers. sandwich today. Fuck Yeah. All right, so thank you all for listening, as always, not just to this episode, but to the entire back catalog of the Wit & Whiskey cast. Uh, We are on, oh God, the better part of two dozen-plus podcast platforms, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, Listen Notes. You know where the hell we are. Give us a rating, give us a listen, save us, bookmark us, uh, favorite us, whatever you prefer. 
We are the Wit and Whiskey cast. There is no H in Wit. There is an E in Whiskey. I've been practicing. <laughs> I'm so uh, proud of you. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Gmail. Uh, you'll find us on all those different platforms. You know, hey, if you have a preferred Thanksgiving dish, if you know a, a trick to cook something, if you have another whiskey you want us to try, preferably something really peaty for DJ, yeah. uh, let us know. Uh, reach out to us on one of those platforms. Uh, big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for the intro and the outro music. We're going to send you to his SoundCloud, and we're going to have links for his new book. His second book is up on Amazon, so mm. check him out, as always. DJ Brother, what are we doing next week? Well, I don't think I'm ready for the Roman Empire yet. I'm not ready for the Roman Empire yet. I have not had time to start doing the mountains of research I will need to do, because while it is all up in my cerebral cortex, I need to write it down. But I was thinking that we could revisit one of our series. Okay. What if we bit off the big console war and did the GameCube versus the PS2? Oh, all right. And you know what? I'm feeling generous since it is my <laughs> second favorite holiday. I will give you the GameCube. Okay, as long as you say something about Kingdom Hearts. Um, okay, I'll, I will, I, I'll say it right now. I've never played Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'll say about it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, next week, Kingdom Hearts and Whiskey. <laughs> God almighty, we don't have four and a half hours to listen to you go on. <laughs> that might have to be a topic at some point. We could bring Allison back from the uh, the alternate RPGs and whiskey. She's next to you. She's the biggest fangirl I know for uh, Kingdom Hearts. But no, we will do the PS2. We will do the GameCube. Uh We'll probably both throw shade at the OG Xbox. Oh, I yeah. never owned one. Did you? Uh, my brother did, and the only game I can legitimately remember wanting to play was Enter the Matrix. I had that for the GameCube. Oh, I didn't know it was on the Cube. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I had it for. All right, yeah. Then the, let's shit on the Xbox. <laughs> Fuck Halo. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun next week, folks. It will. But okay, until then, uh, don't eat too much turkey leftovers, or do, fuck it, it's America, do what you feel like. And uh, I'm Mark Rossetti. I'm DJ Gagnon. Salute. Cheers. <laughs>